Welcome to Skip Intro, a podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, along with a few of our own personal recommendations. My name is John Boehm, here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge, from acquiring it, to scheduling it, to deciding what we put on the side of a bus uh, to promote. Is that the life cycle of a Binge employee, Ali? I think that's right. And now we are talking about the shows. It's not enough to watch them and program them, but golly gosh, we like talking about them. So that is what we're doing this week. We have got two shows to talk about and our dinner party recommendations. The first one is The Girl Before. It's a new BBC HBO Max co-pro that's dropping this week. Then we're discussing change of pace, change of genre, Alone, the survival reality TV series that we have I think every episode ever of, and then we get to our dinner party, Rex. Cool. So let's jump into the girl before. He only sets an affordable rent to people who live here the way he intended. No ornaments, no carpets or rugs, no pictures. What sort of people get accepted? Since I've been the agent, no one has. You seem like a perfect fit. I'm flattered. That tendency, it's pretty freaky, right? It's the price the tenant pays for living there. Based on the novel of the same name, The Girl Before is a stylish new thriller that's been described as a murderous grand designs following... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Following two parallel stories, three years apart, this four-part series is the unnerving tale of a beautifully designed minimalist home. It's tenants and the mysterious and controlling architect who built it. So, Ali, this is this is a four-parter. It's based on a book, uh, so it's got a very conclusive ending, but also means it's a bit of a quick binge over a weekend or a couple of nights. It's creepy, huh? Okay, there's so many things I need to say before we go on. I'm now going to – I've watched the first two and there's two to go, and now I'm going to be waiting for Kevin McLeod from Grand Designs to jump out of a minimalist cupboard. That's just hilarious wherever that came from. It is creepy. It is creepy. But I'm liking it so far and it's had mixed reviews. I think it's fair to say it went out in England late last year. It's going out with HBO Max this week as well. But I love how the Brits do really good four or six parters. You don't have to be in for 10. You don't have to be in for ages. It feels like a lot's going to happen in the four episodes based on the first few that we've seen. Yeah. But yeah, maybe something you want to watch in the daytime or not when you're on your own. Yeah. This almost felt to me like something that in the late 90s or early 2000s would have been like, you know, a good thriller movie that they've turned into a series, which isn't to say there's not a lot of story to cover because in the four episodes, they do cover a lot. Like I said, there are two parallel stories, um, which once you wrap your head around, it's pretty easy to follow. But basically, there's two different tenants who have lived in this same amazing house, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, And you're kind of cutting between the two of them and their stories. And you're wondering when and how they're going to intersect. And then of course, there is the architect who is equally mysterious, who has built this amazing apartment that has all these crazy rules that he seems to lease out for, you know, not a lot of money, but he will only lease out to very selective people who follow all the rules and basically does as he says and does as the building says, because the building has this like weird AI thing called housekeeper, which will like ask you random personal questions during the day, uh, but will also, you know, start playing music and change the lighting and unlock doors and do all sorts of things. But it's a beautiful building, Ali. It like, it reminds me of the National Gallery or something. Yeah, it's that kind of minimalistic concrete, you know, almost a Japanese-y kind of garden, very zen-y. It's all, yeah, like built in, 
bed in the wall and you know you can't see the cupboards and stuff but it's, it's also got a beautiful kind of wooden outside which softens it so yeah definitely it looks beautiful the premise is a little bit creepy because the guy's effectively an architect but he's almost doing a psychological study as well which is how are people impacted by their environments in their houses so he needs to know what mood you're in or where you are in the house to change the light so it's literally yeah it's like taking an amazon alexa a google watch and he does say to her he goes they'll have no more data than google or facebook might have on you and you need that to fuel the house but it i mean i wouldn't be signing up to move in but i just want to clarify for people so far in the two apps i've seen it's a bit creepy and scary but not like super super scary it's a bit like sleeping with the enemy or something like that you know where you know that this person's not cool and it's going to go south but it's it's not like lots of knives and super scary yet no it's i don't know where where it goes no it's it's very tense i've seen it described as hitchcockian like there's lots of mood and things that aren't being said and you're not sure what's about to happen but no there's like it's in terms of you know violence or anything it's very limited it's kind of more of a mood and a tenseness that's just encapsulated in this like equally moody building. Some of the backstory to the building is that this, again, sort of mysterious architect was building it for his family and then, of course, never moves in and then starts to lease it out to these women and couples who just happen to look like his wife. And yeah, you just, these coincidences and things just kind of start to, yeah, start to cross over and You're not sure what's happening or where it's going, but it's a little bit scary and it takes place in a beautiful house. So I don't know what more you want in a show. Got it. All right. Well, I'm two in. I'm definitely going to watch the last two. No spoilers. I know you know the outcome. I don't want to know. I want to watch it. Uh, Four reps, easy binge, like you said. Maybe if you're a bit jumpy or a bit scary, watch it with someone else or a Sunday afternoon binge rather than a Thursday evening binge. From some of the comments and reviews um it looks like it's sort of a quite well-reviewed book as well so maybe check that out before or after the show um but definitely worth mentioning the amazing cast the uh creepy architect that i keep mentioning <laughs> is um is portrayed by uh like full-fledged movie star david oyello who people might know from selma or nightingale or come away all three of which um happen to be on binge one of the two tenants is portrayed by um gugu mabwatha raw who people might know from the morning show or loki and the other tenant um in the other timeline is portrayed by jessica Plummer, who I was not familiar with, but seems like has done a lot of so UK work um, and also has been on EastEnders for hundreds of episodes, which is also streaming on Binge. Oh, you did that very smoothly, John. Yeah. But um, I just think it's worth saying as well, it's going between time zones, but it doesn't really, it's not in a jumpy, annoying way. It's really easy to follow, I found. Like, it, you know, you're not like, where am I up to? And even though they do look a bit alike, it's super easy to track the different, yeah. the different women. Yeah, and it's only... This isn't decades apart or anything. It's a few years apart. And yeah, they do keep referencing how much everyone looks alike because that's kind of part of the creepiness. But yeah, it is it is very easy to follow the sort of different storylines and to see the trajectory of where where things are going. But yeah, all four episodes of The Girl Before are streaming now on Binge. Do you know anything about the young woman who lived here before? Same eyes? You look like her. It started off as romantic, but you need to be careful. The more people I talk to, the more one man keeps coming up again and again. I need to know what that man is capable of. 
The captivating reality series alone follows 10 contestants dropped into the remote wilderness with no food, shelter, or camera crew, as each contestant spends the entire experience isolated from the rest of the world with just a camera to document themselves, the series quickly becomes a study in human behaviour and what happens when we are truly alone. Over eight seasons, the series has been filmed across Canada, Argentina and Mongolia, with people surviving as little as one day and as many as 100. The most extreme alone challenge that's ever been done. Survive 100 days in the Arctic. 100 days, nobody's done this. And win $1 million. This place will crush you. With no shelter, no camera crews, no one to help. Ah! Ali, have you seen this show? Well, we don't normally ask each other about at the beginning of the thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me tell you, to... I have not done my homework. So you got me. I must have too honest a face or you could catch me Googling. I have not watched this show. So rather than us both critique it or fight our sides of the argument on shows like we often do, convince me why I should go into the jungle, SAS style, I think. What is this show about? Well, SAS is a great reference because it is nothing like that. Um, okay. <laughs> What I love about, and reality television is great. It's compelling. We've talked about Below Deck. There's a place for it. I'm not, I'm not being snobby about it. But Alone, I think on the surface, looks like SAS, looks like Naked and Afraid, looks like I'm a Celebrity. Like it looks like any of these other shows, and it is not. And I think that's why it's kind of taken its time for people to discover it. This mm-hmm. show, like I said, it already has eight seasons. That's a lot of seasons. Like, Yeah, it's it's been on since 2015. We get the premiere seasons. There's a new season due later this year. Uh, Binge has every single episode of every season. It's so much different to a regular reality show because there's almost no construction or contrivance in the production there are these 10 contestants. They don't spend any time together. This isn't Survivor. This isn't about relationships and social hierarchy and things like that. They get dropped it's off. as it says on the tin. It's alone. They are alone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they get, they, are alone. they get dropped off into these different locations. A lot of the seasons have been filmed in Canada in sort of the Arctic, not quite the Arctic, but, you know, in cold parts of Canada where they get dropped off in these beautiful locations. That's another part of it. They're just like stunning backdrops that they're dropped into they're each allowed to take 10 sort of very limited items with them so you know like an axe or a bow and arrow or um, a thing to help start fire or a tarp but they have to decide which of those things they take and which kind of leans into their survival expertise and that's my question sorry I'm jumping in are they fit are they are like are they like bare grills or have you got people rocking up with you know hair dryers and no no yeah so that like they're all serious survivalists yeah that's a really good point and I think why Again, the show is so compelling. They're sort of called in quotation marks survival experts. You know, they're not Bear grills. That like this isn't their life. It's more of like a hobby. Like they're people that have grown up camping or have grown up hunting. So they're passionate about this and they're good at it because if they don't, they would die. <laughs> right. So they've got starting knowledge to cope with where they're being dropped. So you don't have this total yeah. fish out of water thing. Is the idea that they don't all survive or are they competing with each other and they don't realise they are? Well, they or- are. Comp- so there's, there is a cash prize. It's it's a bit traditional in a reality show in that there is a cash prize. I think it's gone up to a million dollars in some seasons. But what's really interesting is because they're all going through this, they're going through this at the same time, but completely separated and without any contact. So you could last on the show 100 days 
and the nine other contestants might have left the show on day eight and you wouldn't know. Surely someone in producer land's going, wrap it up, you're costing No, money. no, yeah. really? no. It's, okay. it's fascinating. <laughs> so yeah, like, as I mentioned, some people have been dropped into the location and it's called tapping out. So they have a satellite phone. Again, this is how legitimately alone they are. There's no camera crew. There's no access. There's no like helicopters filming them or anything they're literally so how are we seeing them so it's, it's all it's crew? all filmed themselves so they get self-shot it, and it's impressively self-shot i think obviously they're doing sort of masterful editing in post-production but yeah they're all filming it themselves and part of it is because they are alone they kind of end up having a bit of a relationship with the camera crew with the camera because it, oh, a bit like wilson <laughs> well yeah well, it, cast away. it becomes sort of a confessional uh, it follows them you know trying and failing to hunt or trying to set up a shelter but again these people are there for months or some of them are there for months alone and all they're doing is recording themselves and literally trying to survive they're not given any food they're not given any shelter so okay so that's where it gets interesting because I'm like what are they recording if they're just you know they have to get told to get from this side of the island to another have they got like tasks that they're given or is no it, it is to survive whoa and I think what's so interesting and it's not something I've thought about because again I've it's been a while since I've not eaten for days at a time but even in the first couple of episodes the first you know couple of days of the experience they start to talk about the energy that they're exerting versus the energy they're getting in and for the first few days some of them aren't eating because they haven't been able to hunt they haven't been able to kill something um, and some of them spend too much time trying to build a shelter and then they've exerted all this energy that they're just like exhausted and they can't find food or they spend all this time trying to build or they spend all this time trying to hunt and then they have food, but then they're like shivering under a tree at night because they haven't built a proper shelter. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I think what's so interesting about the show compared to other more constructed reality shows is that they are you're literally dropped into this world where you have to survive. There's no contrivances. There's no um, tasks that need to be completed. It's just how are you going to live out here for 100 days? If you knew you were completely by yourself and you had to fend for everything by yourself for up to 100 days, which is the goal is to last 100 days, what would you do? What happens if multiple people in a season last 100 days? And also why do you need eight seasons of this? Like is it interesting each season because obviously you've got different people, different techniques, different locations but like watching people kind of survive for 100 days like how does it get riveting another excellent question um uh, maybe we should change the show and we can ask each other red shows because i'm learning a lot yep okay so another show that long-time listeners of the pod will know that i'm a huge fan of is taskmaster so the premise of taskmaster is you get dropped in a situation and you don't know what's happening and you're given a task and you have to perform the task to the best of your ability with limited ability Mm I love that you're finding a way to mention Taskmaster. Always a way to I'm I'm following you. I'm I'm following your channel. (laughs) Equally, if you dump 10 different people with 10 different life experiences from, to be fair, a lot of the contestants are like American and Canadian and British, but you drop 10 people of 10 different backgrounds into this experience, they're going to deal with it very differently. So in any episode, there'll be, you know, the older white collar guy who's been hunting his whole life and thinks that, you know, he'll be great because he knows how to hunt. And there's a, there's a season where there's, um, uh, she's like a, um, stone age, PhD doctor of Stone Age technology. So she spends the whole time like trying to build like a Stone Age life, like because she knows how to skin things with rocks and she knows how to build um, the right kind of shelter by digging down into the ground. So everyone deals with it so differently that it's so compelling because 
everyone has such a different life experience. They come at it so differently. But then the other thing that happens is, you know, if they survive the first few weeks, then it's like they haven't seen their family for a month. They don't know what time it is. They like can't remember when they ate or when they're going to eat next. There's this psychological thing of what do you do when you're that alone for that long? And it, like, you can't fake it. You can't like, you know, there are people that go on reality shows and want to have a persona or be the evil guy or whatever. What I like about this format is I think after a couple of days alone, starving, you can't kind of fake it. And I think that's when you start to see a real person's personality. Mm. And I think that's what's fascinating. And because they are 10 people, they very slowly cut between them all. Sometimes a cat, like they're not introduced all in the first episode. It's not like Survivor where they're all like jump, like running on the beach and stuff. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it's also like you're asking very valid questions because I think when I first heard about this show, I was like, why are people so into this? Like, I just thought it was Bear Grylls. Yeah, I think lots of people do. I think they just think it's like, oh, cool, like like start a fire or like climb up a cliff. And it's like, no, you were watching people go through really profound physical and psychological things. And so the idea is they can tap, they get one chance to tap out and once they tap out, they're out. Yeah, so the tap out is also really interesting because as the show's gone on, Everyone who goes on the show is such a big fan of it, which is also mm-hmm. fascinating. And it kind of, you know, happens on Survivor. Like people who watch Survivor want to go on Survivor. So people who watch alone then want to go on alone. And then they're like, oh, I don't want to tap out so early like this guy. Like I'll do this thing to not mm-hmm. tap out or, you know, I'll definitely make it two months or whatever. But yeah, so the tap out process is fascinating. They all have satellite phones, those massive phones with enormous. Oh, like what? Well, my first mobile yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. Like um, yeah. <laughs> and this is also where it starts to, where you get an insight into these people's lives and priorities and what it means for them to be alive, basically, because some people don't tap out until they've like broken their leg and can't move and, you know, are going to bleed out. And some people tap out because they're just like, damn it. Like I really miss my kids. Yeah. Okay. I thought I was prepared for this, but I'm not. And I want to see my kids. And that's why I'm leaving. That's also fascinating. It's not a spoiler, but in season eight, there's a character who goes into it with a heart condition, like knowing he's um, had a heart condition in the past. And it's like 10 days in and he's like, he starts to feel his heart and he's like, oh my God, I think I'm having a heart attack. And th- but then at the same time, he's like, well, I want to stay because I like, I want the money. I want the best for my kids. I want to send them to college. But then you can see him going, I don't want to die. <laughs> and then ultimately he does call um, and t- taps out and, you know, helicopters and boats and stuff arrive. But yeah, you're seeing these people make some of the biggest decisions of their lives. Was he having a heart attack? It actually wasn't clear. Um, it, okay. it doesn't get into and- that. Has anyone gotten to the point other than the man that nearly had a heart attack and obviously people are hungry and, and probably psychologically very on the edge? Like if there are places in it's cold and they're in Canada, like do they get like attacked by grizzly bears or like you don't have a gun? Like do people have people nearly died on this show? Surprisingly not. Well, actually, no, that's wrong. I'm sure people have very nearly died. The environments that they are in are extreme. One of this, most of the seasons are set in um, summer, but summer in the Arctic is still still cold. cold. One of the seasons was set in the winter, which was like the most extreme. But season eight, the subheading is actually Grizzly Mountain because there are grizzly bears everywhere and you see them filming them and they're like... Well, summertime, hello, Yogi Bear. You don't leave your food out. You don't no. camp. You know, they come into the campsite and stuff, don't they? No. So what's fascinating is they talk like they talk about how they have to cook food really far away from where they sleep because they don't mm. want the bears to know 
where they're sleeping and yeah no like it honestly is life and death and I would love to speak to like someone from the show because <laughs> I feel like I'm sure there are protections in place. Obviously, they have the chance to tap out. And I'm sure the people who are rescuing them aren't far away because even, yeah, even the yeah. man with the heart attack was seemingly sort of rescued quite quickly. But Well, if he can get rescued and, you know, yeah. just a big can't off a peloton, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so this is a, you're making me want to watch. This is quite interesting. Okay, so how many episodes are there in a season? Like if there's 10 people, is it, does it go for a while? or is it- Yeah, it varies. It's about 10 Eps per season. What's also interesting, I would actually, if you've never watched the show, I would recommend you just jump into a later season because I think the show did that thing of thinking it was more of a reality show than it was at the beginning. In the first season, there's a lot of like flashbacks to, you know, life at home and like boot camps preparing and, you know, a bit more of them interacting before they went out on their experience. And I think over the course of the show, they figured out actually there's just this like beauty in the simplicity of seeing these people out in the wilderness. And that's not to say they don't talk about their families. There are flashbacks to like them saying goodbye to their families or, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about a kid that they want to send to college or whatever. So you do get a background into these people's lives. But yeah, 90% of the show is these 10 people just talking to the camera or filming themselves trying to survive. And it is strangely compelling. Well, based on how much you've shared with us, this is probably a really in-depth and interesting way to explain to people what the show is about. It certainly feels like you're a fan. Have you watched most of these eight seasons? I have watched most of them, yes. There are some international versions that, that I haven't got to that, that we don't have on binge yet, but I think once I've run out of episodes, I probably will move on to them. But yeah, it is it is really compelling. There have been some reviews, some Australian reviews recently of like, oh, are people finding this show because of lockdown? And maybe like there is, you know, you are watching people in isolation go through, you know, something sort of incredible. So there's some you know, there is something to, to that, that maybe people are watching it because they have felt isolated or alone from the rest of the world. Well, I've just come out of 10 days of isolation with COVID in Sydney. Uh, we could still get Uber Eats. So I suppose comparatively not quite so dire, but it's an interesting point, isn't it? Why are people being drawn to this? Yeah. And, uh, you know, equally with to the isolation point, the scenery especially for Australians is so amazing and different to, well, at least my backyard not that I even have a backyard but um <laughs> it's so you know there are these arctic beautiful lakes like bears salmon like they're just incredible backdrops and probably no funnel web spiders or redbacks to kill you in the middle of the night like at least you can probably going to hear a grizzly coming yes so it's not like those celebrity in the jungle things where you've got snakes and stuff which is always would always freak me out in the big grill stuff like no and I think that is why they are set in these kind of colder climates but yeah it's it's just it's a fascinating series I, you know I'm not a, a, a camper by any stretch but you know you do learn a lot about building a tent or killing fish or like trying to start a fire so okay I'm in John I'm on I'm gonna watch it I'll watch it with hubby and um, we'll come back and let you know yeah. what we think. So season eight, is it freshly dropping weekly or something or do we drop them all at once? No, no. So we've got every episode of the US series. Um, the US series films all, all over the world, but we've got all eight seasons of that. There is a ninth season coming later this year, but um, I assume that's in production at the moment. We don't have a date yet. Awesome. Okay. Well, everybody alone, eight seasons, get watching. Mountain lion, wolves, bears, Cougar. I've always been, you know, a little deterred about animals. Hey, bear. I was just charged by a bear. Uh, I said, uh, hey, bear. And it just keeps on coming at me. 
I'm scared. I don't know where he is. He could be into the woods circling behind me. I hear something out there. Okay, John, we are at the point in the pod where we talk about dinner party recommendations. If we were at dinner with friends, colleagues, having a coffee, uh, we probably get asked a lot what is good, what is worth our time. I love this because it doesn't have to be a new show. It can be a favourite, but please tell our listeners something, a little hidden gem or something you would recommend to them. Well, if you think I talk about Taskmaster a lot, there's probably one. Oh, no, not again. I'm not talking about Taskmaster again. Okay. (laughs) There is one show that I've probably spoken about more than Taskmaster, and that is 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. Oh, yeah. Do, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. I won't lie to you. I don't like doing countdown. <laughs> I'm not lie. Why lie? What's the point of lying? I feel like I feel like a polar bear trapped in a tiny cage. <laughs> up and down, up and down. Why do I have to play countdown? <laughs> Why do I have to play countdown? Why? No, but seriously, I hate playing countdown. <laughs> So it's the like worst named show in the world, but I guess it's good for SEO because it's quite unique. But anyway, it is a comedy panel show where celebrities <laughs> solve maths problems and rearrange letters. So, <laughs> so if that hasn't sold you, I don't know what will. But if you've been playing Wordle lately, I would say that Cats Does Countdown is like the closest thing to a Wordle TV show, but like with comedians. Uh, well, there's your pitch, Doc, guys. There's your elevator pitch. Yeah. Wordle with comedians on TV. Yeah. The end. Which I'm sure is a show or also in development right now somewhere in the US. Quick, quick. Yeah. Right, right. Someone's run off with their idea. Yeah. There's heaps of episodes of it. We're about to drop new episodes weekly. It's just fun. Uh, if if Alone is a show that makes you sort of contemplate your life and um, who you are and the man you thought you'd be, Cats Does Countdown is none of that. It's just a show, <laughs> it's a show that will make you laugh, like, you know, make you try to fail in doing a bit of maths and um, arithmetic. But do you come out smarter? I think you do. There are like hundreds of episodes of this show and I think I've watched every one. And there are times where I am like, the old man who's like pausing it so I can get my pad and paper to like try to solve it. And making Australia smarter with every episode that drops. Yes, okay. yes. But yeah, it is fun and it is also like it's a good family watch. But yeah, it's also a little bit interactive. So I can't recommend it enough. I would just play it on a 24-hour loop if I could. You can't say you're not expanding the palettes of Australian viewers, yeah. John, with your suggestions. You're, you're telling us to go wide and broad with our viewing choices. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, I've got a very different recommendation this week. Not that I always link things to the feature show, but I did get to thinking The Girl Before is a BBC One and HBO Max co-pro. And I was trying to think the last time that I could remember a really good HBO Max and BBC collab. And I May Destroy You came to mind. Oh, how'd you get that? Can't remember I just smashed your phone. I don't know. How did last night end? This is a show, probably needs a trigger warning (laughs) or a content warning uh, to talk about it, but this was a show from 2020. It came out in June 2020, just as Binge was launching. And it's from a brilliant creative mind, Michaela Cole, who wrote, directs and stars in in this series. It's a limited series of 10 half an hour episodes. And I think it was one of the best shows, in in my opinion, um, of 2020. It's a stunning study into 
sexual assault and rape and that crime, but told from such a unique perspective. So it's, it's sadly, it's loosely based on Michaela Cole's real life experience. She was actually working in London um, for a production house as a writer on a show called Chewing Gum, which we also have on Binge. Um, she took a break from writing and left the offices of the production house and went down the street in London for to meet a friend for a drink. And she was roofied or, you know, someone dropped a drug into her drink and assaulted her. And she woke up the next morning with, with very limited memory of the night before. And I May Destroy You is loosely based on that same experience as she kind of starts to put the pieces back together of, of what's happened to her and then by doing so comes through the grief and the trauma of the experience. Why I thought it was so brilliant was it was just from such a fresh perspective and with such a personal experience, the way it looks at that event. But I also felt it kind of shows an outcome or a victim perspective that you don't normally see. So in Hollywood, someone does something bad, NCIS style or, you know, SVU, you're in a, you end up in a courtroom, baddie up on the stand and, you know, it's your chance of justice. But I think for a lot of survivors of sexual assault, which is often quite an invisible crime or a very difficult one to prosecute, there is often not an outcome. And for her, there's the fact that she's been drugged, so there's not a strong memory of who this person is. Without giving it away, the final episode looks at almost three alternate endings to the story and three ways sometimes victims would wish that they could conclude um, revenge or, or get to a conclusion that they often don't get to get to because justice is not always forthcoming. And I probably haven't done it full justice, but when you take the brutalness of her experience, the way she's able to share and take us through that with her writing and her acting and directing, it's a gobsmackingly brilliant, brilliant show. She's such a talented creative. She won a, an Emmy, I think, for best writing on this. Um, she could have won best acting or directing in my view. A few people have said to me they didn't watch it because the, of the title, I May Destroy You, made them feel like it was really aggressive a couple of male friends said to me oh it's kind of like quite full-on picture of a girl and, and what's this about and I think it's more about she might destroy you in her revenge or equally that the crime and the trauma she's been through might destroy her it's not straightforward like someone's coming out for you it's a very nuanced play on on the impact of the trauma and I think it is um it's 30 minute episodes Michaela actually recommends that you don't binge them I had to stop and digest them and I think I kind of did one or two episodes at a time back to back but any more than that you kind of need to sit with it and experience it because it is so intensely told and, and the and point of view of it but very impactful program very impactful television for me and the way it uses the the, the vehicle of, of television to to get a very powerful point across. John, what do you think of I May Destroy You? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a stunning series. Like you said, so many shows use rape as like a plot point just to like move a story forward or just as a little subplot or something. And it's like this show actually does that trauma justice. Like it doesn't just let it pass by. It's not just a thing that happens. Um, it really shows the impact of that kind of violence on a person. The show also discusses consent in a way that I don't think I've ever seen on yeah. television, which I also thought was incredibly compelling. It changed the laws in the UK about stealthing as well, didn't it? Which is when someone takes a, 
a condom off during sex as well. And I think it has moved the conversation ahead in Australia, all the laws in Australia as well. It had quite a lot of impact at the time when it came. Yeah. And I would say her other series, uh, Chewing Gum, which is very, very different, is also fantastic. It's a straight out comedy, but it's got such a distinct voice. And yeah, it's also really compelling. So it, it is great that we have both of those series. She was offered after Chewing Gum, she was offered a, offered a writers and development deal with Netflix to work on what I think became I May Destroy You. And she you know, it was only young in her mid twenties and she rejected the offer, which was, you know, she very, a, very publicly rejected it. Yeah. And from up and coming writer, it was, you know, still quite a lot of what a lot of people would consider a lot of money because she wanted full editorial control, partly because of this is probably such a personal story, but just she has a voice and she wanted to be unrestrained in her ability to use it. So um, she did an amazing Emmy speech as well when she won the award for best writer. It's just tour de force. She's just an amazing creative that I think we'll see and hopefully see a lot more from in the years to come. That one's called I May Destroy You. It's a very worthy and worthwhile use of your viewing time. I highly, highly recommend it. Arguably, on, on a lighter note, she probably got the Golden Globes cancelled. So <laughs> the way that the series was snubbed was kind of one of the catalysts for what I guess became the, the downfall of the Golden Globes. So... Yeah, I, I recommend you watch it. I'd love to hear our, our viewers' thoughts on it for those that either have seen it already or, or discover it off the back of this. There is so much injustice and my job is to speak the truth. Thank you for what you're doing. <laughs> I love you too. Your blood pressure. Yeah, you will need to monitor that. Yes. <laughs> This week on Skip Intro, we discussed The Girl Before, the reality series Alone. I recommended that you check out 8 out of 10 Cat Stars Countdown and Ali suggested I May Destroy You. All of these series are streaming now on Binge, which of course you can find on your favourite device. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing by Chris Yates and we'll be back next week with more suggestions. Yeah.